0: RC. See you out there, boy. Yeah. See yeah. Yeah. you. Yeah. I gave you fair warning. Beware. Y'all ready? I gave you fair warning. Beware. Smack him in the I gave you fair warning. You I'm Yeah. Smack him I I gave you fair yeah. warning. Beware. They better get ready. Uh, it's filled Flames, i went with Mike on the mic yep. What's up the brand new, one time for one your time, mind He time. gave you fair warning Now it's time to smack him in the mouth With that more sports talk from the town Sweet chin music to your favorite sports master. Mike on the mic with sports talk that matters yeah. Reppin' for the West, see the palms in the logo LA. Mike on the mic, sports pod, let's go! I gave you fair warning, beware You are tuned in to episode three of the Mike on the Mike sports podcast i am mike and i am on the mic of the most electrifying sports podcast in the game today that is right i'm your host sean michaels how's it going everyone how was your week a lot has been going down in the world of sports and i am excited to get into it as soon as i possibly can but anyways this is this is gonna be episode three I appreciate you tuning in. Sit back and enjoy the show. I got three big topics as I do every week to discuss. First one's going to be virtual fans being the new norm. Is this going to be the new norm for sports, dealing with what the world is dealing with today? We will see. I'm going to discuss that. And then the next thing I'm going to discuss is going to be the biggest position battles in the NFL training camp that we're going to see unfold uh, over the next couple of weeks during training camp. And who's going to win them? So I'm just going to go over some of those position battles that we see out there that's going to change a lot of teams entire season based off the decisions made by coaching in these first couple of weeks. And then the final topic I'm going to talk about is which NBA superpower is most likely to have their playoff bubble run popped in round 1. So I'm going to go over the the Lakers, Clippers, and Bucks and the chances of them losing in the first round to their opponents and who has the most likely chance of being upset in the first round out of those three teams. And then, of course, somewhere in the middle, I'm going to do a full fantasy breakdown on the player that you guys voted on. And the voted player this week will be... Drumroll, please. (laughs) Juju Smith-Schuster. That's who we're going to be doing a full fantasy breakdown of somewhere in the middle of all these topics. So just buckle up and enjoy the show. And I... I got nothing else to say, let's just get straight into
1: it. To the NBA, some cool new technology is bringing fans into the stands down in Orlando, not in person, but virtually. You see, each home team can select about 300 fans from all over the world to log in and cheer for their team. Their images will be projected onto large screens set up in the stands. It's all in real time, so fans can react naturally to the plays. So it's unclear right now how the Sixers will select their virtual fans for each game. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons want to take things a step further. They said they'd actually like to hear some virtual boos to make them feel right at home. So something
0: that you're seeing more and more now is you're seeing the cardboard cutouts at baseball games or the Zoom call fans at basketball games. And now the WWE said they're going to be shifting towards virtual fans for the time being. And I'm just I'm just thinking about it. I mean... This COVID thing doesn't seem like it's gonna go away anytime soon. Is virtual fans going to become the new norm? I sure hope not, man. The the experience of going to a sporting event, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, hockey, NASCAR, doesn't matter what game you're, or or sport you're going to watch, is something that's special. Something that, that I don't want future generations to not get to experience. And some of my best moments of my life have been at sporting events, uh, whether I'm on the field or off the field watching the athletes on the field. And man, I just hope that this whole uh, COVID thing blows over eventually, and we can go back to life as normal, especially in the world of sports. I kind of just wanted to talk about it a little bit, kind of get y'all's thoughts on uh, the possibility of virtually attending games. Getting yourself as a cardboard cutout. Uh, one of my friends, Joe, kind of got one for free, uh, a cardboard cutout. MasterCard tweeted him. It, it's actually kind of funny. And they told him that they would pay for his cardboard cutout at the Dodger game because he tweeted about missing going to Dodger games. So, you know, that's kind of interesting. Uh, would you partake in that? I I personally would not because I, <laughs> I think that they're more than the tickets would have cost just to go to the game originally. But uh, in a case, you know, where Joe got it for free, that's pretty cool. I'm just I'm just disappointed Uh, you know I was overseas and I didn't get to go to any real sporting events that often and I come back and everything's shut down you know I was looking forward to going to XFL games I was looking forward to going to the Charger games in the new new stadium and it's kind of all shut down and I hope that virtual fans does not become the new norm because if it does that is a big hit to the morality and the morale of the world in my opinion so, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts. on. So I just want to give a quick little uh, brief coverage of my thoughts on virtual fans and the possibility of it being a long-term solution to this problem of not having crowd noise and, and not having a normal sports game out there. And, you know, sports like baseball or golf, like, that's fine, uh, playing in silence. But sports like football, hockey, uh, WWE, they, they need fans, man. They need the noise. So hopefully artificial crowd noise and artificial fans are going to be something that we look back on in the history books as just history and not something that's currently happening in the very near future so yeah that's my thoughts on uh, virtual fans at the games what's y'all's thoughts hit me up on instagram at mike on the pod and let me know what you're thinking about uh, especially having virtual fans become the new norm in sports i really hope not let's move on to the next topic the nfl training camp has started up you've seen the first episode of hard knocks you've seen the team kind of get things going football wise i believe they put on pads this week and it got me thinking and it got me wanting to talk about what are some of the biggest position battles in nfl training camp to watch out for and who's gonna win them? So basically, I'm just gonna go over a couple of the uh, biggest battles between two players in training camp for the starting job, and who I think is gonna come out on top, and how that's gonna possibly affect that individual team's NFL 2020 season. So we'll see, we'll see, we'll see how this goes. I have them all written down. I'm kind of just gonna go over them one by one, kind of give you my thoughts on each each matchup. So the first one we're gonna go over is probably the biggest one: uh, Cam Newton versus Jarrett Stidham for the Patriots' starting quarterback position. All right, here we go. We talked about this a million times. This one's been easy for me since they signed Cam Newton. Cam Newton's a better athlete. He's a better quarterback, in my opinion. Um, And and if Stidham was really the guy, as I said before, if Stidham was really the guy that that the Patriots had slated to take the reins and keep the Patriots' uh, dynasty going post-Brady, Cam Newton wouldn't even be on this roster right now they would have been completely fine with Brian Hoyer being in their backup, knowing the offense, knowing how to how the Patriots system runs already, and and, and cool with going with that as their two quarterbacks. Stidham as a starter, Hoyer as the backup. But they signed Cam Newton, which uh, opens up a battle for the starting quarterback spot, and it leads me to believe that Jerry Stidham is clearly not that guy that everyone thinks that he uh, he was for the Patriots, and and they thought that he was their guy to replace. Tom Brady you know Bill is making it an open battle for the spot in my opinion just so that he can double check one that Super Cam is in fact healthy and ready to go and two he likes misleading us man he likes misleading everyone to believe they're going to go one way stick the foot in the ground hit you in the juke move break your ankles put you on ice skates and go a different direction and usually successful so we'll see what happens with the Cam Newton situation if that ends up being successful but i really think it's just bill testing to see if cam one is ready to compete for that spot see how he responds with his attitude and everything see if cam Newton's ready to be a part of the patriot way if you will and two to make sure he's fully healthy before you announce that he's a starter because if you go out there and say yes cam newton's gonna be starting of our team and then you get him out there on the field and he falls apart in the first week then now bill just kind of looks silly and that's something that Bill Belichick doesn't do. He doesn't let you into his mind very much. He keeps a lot of it to himself. Although whether it's Cam or whether it's Stidham, I don't think it matters for the Patriots. I think the difference between Stidham and the difference between Cam Newton is a four and five win team to a six or seven win team. So I think Newton can get them six or seven wins. Maybe they go eight and eight if if he plays really well. Uh, but uh, with Stidham, I think they have four or five wins, maybe six if he plays really, really well. I just think the two levels are really, really well for these two guys. It's much different. Stidham's really, really well is going to be like a high-end backup, and Cam Newton's really, really well is an MVP. So that, that that's the difference between them, and that's why I would take Cam to win this battle in training camp over Jared Stidham. Bill Belichick has a plan, though. I don't know if either one of these guys are the guy Bill Belichick wants to be the Patriots quarterback for the next 20 years, because so I think that he's eyeing quarterbacks in the next draft, and I think he's going to be thinking about drafting either Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or or maybe someone else in that first round and in order to get those guys he knows that he needs to be positioned in the first probably 10 picks probably most likely the first five picks of the draft so to see all these guys opting out to see Belichick not really caring that much they're not bringing guys in I could definitely see the Patriots having a really bad year next year kind of a tank I'm calling it out now might be a tank but it might not be a tank we'll see tank for 202.0 tank for Trevor so we'll see how that goes uh, and then the second battle I was going to talk about, a big one in Indianapolis, is Marlon Mack versus Jonathan Taylor for the starting running back role for the Indianapolis Colts. This one's fun for me. Uh, it's fun to talk about because Jonathan Taylor was one of my favorite rookie running backs coming out of the draft, and he balled out in Wisconsin. He absolutely balled out. He broke a bunch of records. He broke Melvin Gordon's records, I'm pretty sure, uh, who is not my favorite running back in the league, but he used to be. <laughs> Uh, Marlon has been there for multiple years though. We've got to remember that Marlon knows the offense uh, But d- does he really know the offense because now they got Phillip Rivers coming in and it, it all could change For the Colts it could completely change on its head from Marlon Mack and the Indianapolis Colts So that, that that advantage might go right out the window Taylor's going under the radar as one of the best running backs coming out of this class like I said he went for over 2,250 all-purpose yards in his last season at Wisconsin that is ridiculous He scored 26 total touchdowns. This kid is a superstar in the making, in my opinion, and he will be the starter at some point. With that being said, though, uh, without a full training camp, without full reps, without a full speed preseason and any of that kind of stuff for Taylor to work off of, I see Max starting the season off and winning the job out of uh, actual training camp itself. But I don't think he holds that spot for too long. I think by week five, Jonathan Taylor will emerge as the number one back for the Indianapolis Colts. Going from one running back battle to the next, going to talk about Melvin Gordon a little bit again because Melvin Gordon versus Philip Lindsay for the starting uh, running back role of the Denver Broncos. They brought in Melvin Gordon. A little bit of a surprising move to me when they had Lindsay, They had Royce Freeman. They had these guys, and this shows what they think of Royce Freeman. And although I am Melvin Gordon's biggest fan, Hey, you guys caught that psych. I am probably the Los Angeles Chargers biggest fan and Melvin Gordon has left a very bad taste in my mouth. He took a smaller contract to go to arrivals. It's just dirty. Let's just point that out. That's that's just awful. I think every Chargers fan. feels salty towards Melvin Gordon in the 2020 season, but I'll try and look at this in all seriousness and. I will look at it from an unbiased view. It's gonna be a tough battle for the spot because both these guys are very good running backs, and both these guys are number ones on most teams in the NFL. But just looking at them, Melvin looks better on the field, right? He he is a little faster, he's probably a little quicker on his cuts, he's probably a little a little stronger than Philip Lindsay, he's bigger than Philip Lindsey, but with Lindsay, you avoid all the drama and the flash if you will, that Melvin Gordon brings his game. Yes, Melvin Gordon can turn a screen into a touchdown in a blink of an eye, but also he can fumble trying to make that one extra or two extra moves that he probably should have made. Probably should just take what he's got, and then he fumbles. Lindsey gets you your sure yards, protects the ball, and gets down, goes back to the line, does it again. All the rest of the stuff is eliminated. All the crazy plays, all the weird fumbles, all the Fancy stuff is gone. Lindsay has been there. He knows the offense. He's been the running back for the last couple of seasons. They got him undrafted. They've held on to him undrafted. I think he holds the running back one duties, even with Melvin Gordon uh, in the fray. I think Melvin Gordon does get his touches. I think Melvin Gordon is still going to be involved in this offense at a very high level, especially in passing downs. But I definitely think that uh, that that Lindsey will, will end the season with more yards and more rushing touchdowns. Melvin Gordon. Denver's going to have a a fun and dangerous offense for years to come, man. They're going to be so good in the next couple years, and I'm not excited about it. Anyways, on to the next battle is another quarterback battle. Tyrod Taylor versus Justin Herbert. Now, Anthony Lynn's come out, and he said that basically Tyrod Taylor has the reins of the job right now. He's giving Justin Herbert a chance. He's not saying Tyrod is the starter, but he's saying Tyrod has the lead just because Tyrod's been there, which makes sense, and Herbert's a rookie. But I'll tell you, I saw that first episode of Hard Knocks, and I got chills watching Herbert hit all those targets. I think Herbert is going to be a good quarterback in the NFL. If you watch his film, he has all the makes and the buildings of being a great quarterback in the NFL. He's big, he's tall, he's fast, he's athletic, and he can throw uh, as far as Patrick Mahomes. Okay, I'm not going to say that, but he can. He has a cannon of an arm, and when the ball comes out of his hand, it just looks so pretty. His perfect spirals and it like floats in the air and just drops right in the basket of his wide receiver. With all that being said, I don't think Herbert's going to start week one. And this is why this is my theory. This is what I've been saying for a while. Now the first five games of the season for the chargers are going to be extremely tough. We see the saints, the Buccaneers and the chiefs all within the first five games of the season. Tyler Taylor will be in for those first five games of the season. The chargers are going to come out of that either one and four or two and three. Right then and there, after that, we have probably the easiest schedule in the NFL from that point to the end of the season. Throw Herbert in there. Don't feed him to the Wolves his first five weeks. Go ahead, let Tyrod take that. Let Tyrod take those L's, and then you'll have a good reason to kind of try out Justin Herbert going into week six and, and onward from there. So I think Tyrod starts off the season, and I think that uh, Herbert will come in mid-season at one point for Tyrod Taylor, unless Tyrod's lighting it, lighting it up. If Tyrod's lighting it up, then he's just going to stay in for the rest of the season. We won't see Herbert until 2021. So We'll see what happens there, but I'm going to say Tyrod wins the QB1 starting spot to start the season week one, and Herbert's going to take it halfway through the season. The final big matchup we're going to have uh, in the training camp, I don't know if it's going to matter which one of these guys win based off of the team overall and, and how they're going to do this season. Mitchell Trubisky versus Nick Foles for the starting quarterback position of the Chicago Bears. Now, when I look at Nick Foles, I look at it and in 2013, he threw for 27 touchdowns and only two interceptions and had 119 QBR for the Philadelphia Eagles in his first stint in Philadelphia. The next season after that, he dropped to a 13 to 10 touchdown interceptor ratio and that's a, that's a big drop off. That's an alarming drop off. And since that season, Foles has played for four different teams, including going back to Philly and winning a Super Bowl. Let's talk about that. Four different teams, but has not thrown for more than seven touchdowns in a season since two thousand and fourteen. That is tough. So as long as Foles has been around, we still don't even know what he is. He is he that twenty-seven to two uh, touchdown interception guy, or is he just a high-end backup quarterback that can compete when he's when he's told to go out there because the starter got hurt? Nick Foles has had a roller coaster of a year and from Super Bowl hero to just struggling to is he just an average quarterback no one knows what Nick Foles is Nick Foles isn't a franchise quarterback I'll tell you that I mean he's he's got to be 30 years old now or approaching it this is tough this is tough for the Bears to have to make this decision because their current quarterback Mitchell Trubisky last year threw for 17 touchdowns 10 interceptions with an 83 QBR it wasn't too good it's a bad year honestly it's a sophomore year though that's the thing I'm trying to say to people. Benching Trubisky for Foals would just be the Bears giving up on Mitch. And it's too soon to give up on your quarterback in year three, especially after seeing what he did his, his rookie year. Very promising rookie year. A sophomore slump shouldn't derail this guy's whole career. A sophomore slump shouldn't make everyone say, oh, this guy's trash. And, you know, with all of the Mitchell Trubisky jokes aside, there's a lot of them. Uh, I think that the Bears will send him out there week one. But he's going to have a very, 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 very short leash. And one or two bad games, we could see Nick Foles come in and try and play hero for the Chicago Bears. So we'll see what happens with Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky and the rest of these matchups because that's the last one I'm going to cover. And who will come out on top and what that means for each of their teams. There's some more battles out there I didn't bring up, but these are kind of the biggest ones to keep an eye on. Biggest positions, biggest spotlights, and the most important. So what do you guys think? You think Cam Newton's going to edge out? stood him for the starting job Do you think marlon mack or, or jonathan taylor will start uh melvin gordon versus philip lindsey who's gonna get that starts there and of course uh mitchell trubisky versus nick Foles and tyra taylor versus justin herbert what do you guys think of all these matchups definitely hit us up on our social medias for that let's move on to the next topic with the fifth pick in the fourth round of the 2020 fantasy football draft Will Mike on the Mic Sports Podcast select Juju Smith-Schuster? Question mark. (laughs) So that's the question, right? Full Fantasy Breakdown, Juju Smith-Schuster. This is the third ever Full Fantasy Breakdown. Basically, the concept is every week I'm going to put a poll up on the Instagram page. So If you're not following the Instagram page, Mike on the Mic pod, you're missing out. I'm going to put the poll up and you can go and you can vote for which fantasy player you would like to see me do a full fantasy breakdown of and i'm gonna have some help from the fantasy doctor as i do every week dr not with uh, fantasy docs they're also on instagram at fantasy docs so this week we got juju smith schuster i'm excited for this one because i have an interesting opinion on juju without further ado let's get straight into the full fantasy breakdown of juju smith schuster here we go I felt like this segment needed some music, so I'm going to add some music right about right there. Uh, let me know if you guys like the music or you want it without the music. just hear my voice. Anyways, no Big Ben, and he missed four games last year. But his stats from 2019 were 70 targets, 42 receptions, and 552 yards, three touchdowns receiving. So obviously a huge down year for Juju last year with the injury and without Big Ben being able to play. Despite not having Big Ben, I still feel like he was having a big down year. I mean, think about it. Uh, he went from averaging 10 targets a game, 7 receptions, and 89 yards to averaging only 5 targets, uh, about 6 targets a game, 3.5 receptions, and 46 yards. His production decreased by about half of what it was the year before. That's a red flag to me. That That's not just your quarterback. Any quarterback in the NFL if you're putting up big numbers you're, you are gonna see a hit a little bit of a hit But you ain't gonna see it decrease by half. That's a big 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 decrease I'm um, looking at his 2020 outlook his ADP is round 4 pick 10 um, I was seeing him go much earlier than that when I was looking at mock drafts a couple weeks ago But apparently his ADP has fallen back a little bit I believe he was going at the end of the second round before and now he's going towards the end of of the fourth round and and into the fifth round. So that obviously changes things a lot. That changes my perspective on things a lot because I was looking at him people were saying second round and I was saying uh 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 -uh, not second round please don't. He's going as a wide receiver 12 to 15. I looked at a couple sources in between 12 and 15 is the average. So a top 15 wide receiver off the board. So far that decreased by half the amount of stats, half the amount of targets, half the amount of receptions per game. That is a little bit scary, uh, having him at wide receiver 15 even, if that's the low end, uh, for someone that had that kind of decrease in his previous season. Basically a sophomore year, is his third year in the league last year, but the first year he didn't really play that much, so to see him basically have a sophomore slump is a little worrisome for me when, I, when I'm drafting someone in my top five picks, and not top five picks, but top five of my picks within the first five rounds. Let's look at what the Steelers added on offense and what they lost on, on offense that could potentially affect Juju's play or, or affect Juju's stats. Um, additions, Big Ben obviously returning. That's a big up for Juju. That helps him out a lot because Big Ben's going to throw for 4,500 yards in his sleep pretty much. They, they aired out so much there in Pittsburgh. Um, they added Eric Ebron. I don't think Eric Ebron takes too much away from Juju. I don't think Eric Ebron helps Juju too much. I think that's kind of a wash. Eric Ebron's a very uh, speedy tight end, but he's – Been up and down, had a very up and down career so far. I don't think he comes in and just takes the spot from Jesse James or anything. I think that that he just helps the tight end room, if anything, not really affecting the receivers too much. Derek Watt, signing Derek Watt uh, leaves me to believe they might run the ball a little more this year. Seeing Big Ben get hurt last year might not completely put the whole team on Big Ben's back like we normally would see the Steelers offense uh, be ridden. On Big Ben's back, seeing those big games and big seasons that he puts up every single year. So seeing Derek Watt adding a fullback at the caliber of Derek Watt uh, lets me lets me believe that they're possibly going to be running the ball a little bit more. So that 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 hurts Juju a little bit in my opinion. Signing Derek Watt and then offensive lineman Stefan Winnitsitsky. Anyways, he's a decent decent offensive lineman. He comes in to replace uh, a guy they lost last year. if Anything adds depth to the offensive line and anytime you add offensive alignment to your offense, it helps everyone on the offense. So that helps Juju a little bit. Now they lost. All they lost was tight end Nick Venette and offensive lineman BJ Finney. So not really that much lost. Steelers kind of stayed the same on offense this year, other than getting Big Ben back out there. So the bit is run it back with our big Ben back there. And and good luck knocking him over and good luck getting wins against this year's Pittsburgh Steelers. So so far it's looking okay. Juju's kind of checking out. We'll see what the injury last year means from the fantasy doctor in just a second. But I will just like to say when I'm looking at my fourth round. Mm, mm, even at fourth round I'm still scared to draft Juju because I'm just really low on him this year. I think Deontay Johnson is really good. But let's go to fantasy doctor. Maybe he can make me feel a little bit better about his injury and, and a bounce back season possibility for Juju smith schuster So let's check in for the third ever injury check with Fantasy Docs, Dr. Natwa. Injury check with the Fantasy Doctor.
1: Hey guys, Dr. Nathan Natwa here, Fantasy Docs with your Juju smith schuster update. We're gonna talk about how he did not live up to expectations last season. He suffered from poor QB play, which was not his fault. Big Bang got knocked out and he had to deal with uh, not great alternative options. Then he also suffered a concussion and a knee injury in the same game. I'm not too worried about either of these injuries long term wise. The knee injury didn't require any kind of surgery. It was reported to be a knee sprain. That's likely the medial collateral ligaments or even maybe a little bit strain on that ACL. Uh, He didn't require any kind of surgery as I mentioned before and usually the period of time for rest for both of these injuries his maximum uh, 10 weeks, but usually more so between four and seven weeks. And he has definitely exceeded both of those rest periods. In regards to his concussion, he doesn't have a huge history of them. And he once again had uh, more than an adequate amount of rest for that injury as well, too. So that's not concerning. I am a little bit concerned about Big Ben. He's coming off of uh, elbow reconstruction surgery and we don't really know how he's going to be throwing how easy it's going to be to re-aggravate that injury and I'm also a little bit concerned about how Juju is going to operate as the wide receiver one even with Big Ben throwing to him the season before last on the games that Antonio Brown was out he didn't really show a great affinity for that wide receiver one position and he didn't put up stellar numbers now he's two years older so we'll see how that goes but uh, overall, injury concern-wise, I'm not worried about Juju Smith-Schuster. Thank
0: you, Fantasy Docs, Dr. Notwa. Go check them out on Instagram, at Fantasy Docs. Thank you for the analysis there. So, taking it all into account, talking about the injury last year, thinking about how we saw his production drop off so much last year, even with Big Ben coming back. In round four, I'm probably going to stay away from Juju. Uh, I'm going to pass on Juju in round four. If he slides into five, six, seven, okay, we'll think about drafting him. It's worth the risk there. But I feel like drafting him in round four, you're drafting him as your wide receiver two, possibly a wide receiver one if you want three straight running backs to start the draft. He's, to me, he's a good flex. To me, he's a good flex. So if I can get him in a spot where I'm going to get him as my flex, then I'm definitely going to think about drafting Juju then. But round four, I'm going to say pass as my overall analysis, the first ever time that i have passed on a full fantasy breakdown let me know what you guys think about the full breakdown and let me know who you want to do the full fantasy breakdown on next week when i put up the poll on the instagram page now on to our final topic let's talk some basketball everybody get up it's time to slam The The final topic for this week's show is going to be which of the NBA superpowers will have their playoff bubble run popped early in round one. I don't think any of the NBA superpowers are going to lose in the first round. That's not what I'm saying. I'm going to put the disclaimer out there before I get into this. What I'm saying is who is most likely to lose in round one and why i'm gonna go over the lakers the bucks and the clippers and their first round matchups and who could potentially be in trouble so let's get straight into it starting with my los angeles lakers and your los angeles lakers i haven't really used that term in a while um my los angeles lakers and your los angeles lakers something i used to say a lot on the old show but the lakers are gonna have their hands full with the trailblazers man i, I just i gotta admit it Damian Lillard is red hot going into this series Before COVID, the Lakers were set and ready to take on a team with as high-powered offense as the Portland Trail Blazers. We were playing stellar defense. We were playing great offense. The Lakers looked like a number one seed in the West. That's what it felt like as they looked like throughout the whole regular season before the COVID break, if you will. I guess that's what we'll call them. Lately, we have not seen that. The Lakers can't hit a three or a free throw to save their lives. And the Blazers are completely balling out. But fortunately for the Lakers, the Blazers cannot figure it out on defense. So we're going to score a lot of points on them. Although that the Blazers are going to put up a really big fight with the Lakers, I think it goes six games. uh, I see the Lakers taking care of business in the end. How often do you see a team with uh, two top 10 or top 12 players on the same roster losing round one? And how often do you see LeBron James losing round one? It doesn't happen. It hasn't happened. I don't think it's going to happen. This year, the Blazers are winning, but they're not winning by bunches. They're not dominating. They're not convincing me that they could take on the number one seed in the West and beat them in a seven game series to win this series. They're going to have to play seven perfect games. And even if they play perfect games, they may fall to this Lakers roster. that's just too good. They just got too much. Anthony Davis and LeBron are just too much for the Blazers to be able to handle, in my opinion. I feel like we've seen the best of the Blazers during these bubble games. We've seen them bring it all out and put it all on the court. And their best beat the Grizzlies by four. They beat the Brooklyn Nets by two. The Mavericks by three. An injury-riddled 76ers by three. I mean, these are all lower-seeded teams, and they're barely getting by. This hair-by-your-chinny-chin-chin strategy isn't going to work against LeBron James and the Lakers' playoff team. So I don't see the Lakers having their bubble popped in the first round. I don't think the Lakers are even really too worried about it. I think that they're they're going to take this as a good test to see if they can play against a team with two really good guards because that's really our Achilles heel right now is, is we, we have run out of guards that can defend a team with a pair of good guards like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Dave's going to get his. There's nothing we can do about that, Lakers Nation. Every time we come back and whether we win or lose the game and Dame scored 35 to 40 points, just expect that. Just expect that. It's the rest of the team that I think that the Lakers are going to win in. I think LeBron's going to take over in this first round of the playoffs. He's going to show his teammates that he meets business and the Lakers meet business in the finals this year. In the finals run, I should say, this year. The Bucs are struggling a bit also. You know, and Giannis voices opinion on his team's struggles publicly, so that that means something. He's usually a quiet guy when it comes to talking to the media. And although the Bucks may run into trouble in the Celtics and Raptors later in the playoffs, I think they'll handle the Magic pretty easily in round one. Probably a sweep, maybe five games. The Magic lost their only hope in pulling off this upset when Jonathan Isaac went down. He's one of their best players, and it kind of just sucks we're not going to see what the Magic's actually got uh, with the full team against the Bucks. Up. They're the least likely to pull an upset off here. The Magic, I think, are the least likely of the three to pull an upset on the Bucks over the Trailblazers and the Mavericks on the Los Angeles teams. Can we throw the, the Phoenix Suns in here? Can we just can we just pluck the Magic out of there and just put the Phoenix Suns right there to play the Bucks in the first round? Because that would be a hell of a series. That would be a fun series to watch. I still think the Bucks would come out, but the Suns were red hot and determined. It would have been a lot of fun to see the Suns go head-to-head with the Bucs Versus the Magic. But that's not how it works. The Suns were in the West and, and, and they're eliminated. And the Magic are the one that the, the Bucks are going to face in the first round. So I'm going to say that the Bucks easily handle the Magic. And I think they had the least likely chance of these three teams to be upset and have their playoff hopes popped is the phrase I'm using. I'm going to put it on the cover of this <laughs> episode. And the third team, uh, the Clippers. So here it is, right? I'm a Clippers hater and a Luka Doncic lover. And here they are playing each other. In the first round, look, I'm not going to sit here and try and convince you that the Clippers will absolutely lose. I'm not going to predict that the Clippers will absolutely lose in the first round. But if I am picking who has the best chance of upsetting, I'm taking the Mavs. And here is why. Let's talk about how good the seventh and eighth seeds are this year, obviously. Let's get that out of the way first. It's kind of ridiculous that the Mavericks and the Trailblazers teams and what they have on their teams. Are the seventh and eighth seed? That's ridiculous. Anyways, the Mavericks showed what they can do last night in Game One. And game One's already played. Mavericks lost, but they showed a lot of potential to beat the Clippers in the rest of the games in the series. They went on a 48 to 14 run. Just take that in for a second. A 48 to 14 run. I didn't even know they kept track of runs like that. 48 to 14. That shows this team can beat the crap out of this Clippers roster. When they turn on the gas and they turn on the jets. Once Porzingis was ejected, you know, that, and that's that's a whole other conversation. You know, Porzingis got ejected. I don't think he should have been ejected. I think the first technical was actually more ridiculous than the second technical. Anyways, Porzingis got ejected. But before he was ejected, I think the, the Mavericks were winning the game. They were playing better throughout the game. It was close, but they were just playing better. It looked better on the court for the Mavericks than it did the Clippers. And if, if he doesn't get ejected, the Mavs might be up one zero in this series when we're talking about this. Luka was amazing, as we know he's going to be, even versus the aggressive defense of the Clippers. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Pat Bev, uh, all those guys. He, he Morris played good defense on Luka. Didn't matter. Luka put up 42 points, 9 assists, 7 rebounds. Did not matter who you threw at him. He still... Balled out and did Luka Doncic-like things, which is why he should be on the cover of 2K. But that's a whole other argument and a whole other rant that I already went on a couple times. Luka stepped up and he showed that he can ball with or without the Unicorn on the court. But he does need Przingis on the court to pull out these wins, especially at the end of games. The Mavericks have had a tough time closing out games. So you know gets to the end of the game and it's close, having Prazingis on the court would have been a huge difference for the Mavericks and their chances of winning this game. I still see the Mavericks stretching this series to seven. I still think the Mavericks can stretch this to a game seven with the Clippers, even though they're down 1-0 right now. So we'll see what happens in the next couple games if they go down 2-0 or 3-0. But I still think that the Mavericks have a good chance at winning a couple games in this series. And if we do get to a game seven and Luka has a 40-point triple-double and they're right there at the end of the game and Prazingis hits a three in the clutch and they take down the Clippers... That would be very awesome. And it would be a very disappointing round one exit for the Clippers. I said it's very awesome because I am a Clippers hater this season. So I'm going to go with Kawhi, and the Clippers have the most likely chance of losing in the first round. I'm not going to predict they lose in the first round, but I think they have the most likely chance of the three superpower teams to lose in the first round. And that does it for Episode 3 of the Mike on the Mike Sports Podcast. I am Mike. And I am on the mic of the most electrifying sports podcast in the game today. Thank you for tuning in. I sincerely appreciate it. If you made it this far, you obviously enjoyed the show. So I want you to do one small favor for me. Stop what you're doing right now. Just stop for a second and go onto whatever podcast platform you're listening to on and hit subscribe or follow or whatever it is on the platform that you're listening on. Just stop for one second and do that right now. Welcome back. Did you do it? Thank you. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you to Fantasy Docs again. Thanks to Phil Flames for the intro and RC Productions. Have a great week, everyone, and enjoy these NBA playoffs. This it's going to be a lot of fun to watch.